So we have been in a series for the last number of weeks. If you've been around for most of the series or a good number, I'm just curious, uh, how many people have been getting something out of the series that we've been in? All right, that's pretty good. About half the room. That's great. All right. (laughs) I was hoping for better than 50%, but all right, you know, I'll I'll work a little harder. Um, I've been getting a lot out of it. I've definitely been getting a lot out of the time with the Lord and the preparation. You know, I've sort of had the arc for this series for about a year now, but even as we go through week to week, the Lord's just marinating it in more and more and and just really showing me more things um, that are impacting me right now. And the series that we're in, it's called Timeless Truth. And so if I just to summarize for you briefly uh, the heart or the burden of that, it's that God's word is changeless. It's full of wisdom and instruction and knowledge. The Bible says, Peter says that God gives us everything we need for life and godliness. So let me say it another way. God's word is fully equipped, lacks nothing that we as created beings by him need to find eternal life and to find abundant life while we're here on this earth. Everything we need is in there. Culture And culture has changed throughout all the centuries. Culture is is constantly trying to pull or push against kingdom and what God's word says. So as people of God, what we essentially do is we exchange cultural philosophies and ideals for kingdom principles, and then we stand on those kingdom principles in an ever-changing world so that God's truth and his promises become our reality. When culture goes one way, we can see and identify that that's not kingdom, and then by faith, we choose to go a different way. You could say that we're always kind of going upstream or against the grain, if you will, from the sway of culture. So really when wanting to encourage us that God's word is our plumb line. It's the north on our compass. It's our true setting that we go towards. And it is our ultimate authority. We say that, ultimate authority. It sounds really good, but it's a totally different thing to live that out. God's word being the ultimate authority, guys, it means If God's word says it, then it trumps everything. Are you with me? Anything else that disagrees with that, conflicts with that, it it collides with the word in our lives, and then we stand in faith and overcome, right, according to what God's word is telling us to do. But we have to obey what God's word is telling us to do. So again, in summary of the series, I would say it like this, that if we obey God's word, then there are blessings that come from that. If we choose to disobey God's commands, then there are consequences that come from that as well. Now, I just want to tell you, I'm being rather kind when I say consequences, because the Bible actually describes it as blessings and curses, Right? It means if we choose to ignore God's truth and do it our own way, 
then God's hand comes off of, of what we're doing. His grace, His blessing, His covering is kind of lifted, if you will, and there are consequences, devastation, destruction that will begin to set on us if we continue to walk in that wayward path. But the encouragement and the hope, as we've been going through this series and traveling through all the books of the prophets, many of them, the hope and the encouragement is that God is, he is just, but he is also merciful. And he is in perfect balance between the two in ways that I can't even fully comprehend or understand, but he always is. And his mercy is always crying out to us through his word, through his prophets, through his people to say, don't keep going that way. If you keep going in that direction, it's not going to be good for you. Come back while there's still time and come back under the covering and blessing of God that, that rests over those who walk in obedience and righteousness with Him. And so this is a message that every generation has to hear afresh, right? Everyone needs to hear and stand on God's promises and His Word for themselves. We don't rely on the previous generation. We're raised up by previous generations. But we have to stand in our own faith on what God's Word says for us during our lifetime. So we've been in this series. And today, we're going to visit with the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And you can kind of turn to there in your Bible and hold it, if you will. We'll read there in just a second. But the, the, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Habakkuk. There's not like a, a description of his lineage in there, like there are some of the other prophets. Um, we can deduct at the time frame for his ministry, much like a few other prophets we've already looked at, like Zephaniah. Uh, he was ministering to God's people a little before the Babylonian incursion. So there's a, there's a growing darkness over the land, if you will, because the enemies of God are getting stronger. They're, they're rising up and afflicting God's people. There's more pressure kind of coming from the outside. By this time, an incursion is imminent. The Babylonians will eventually invade, and then they will take God's people captive. Uh, this is part of the, the consequence for their waywardness of, as a nation. And uh, in addition to the growing darkness around them, there is moral decay within. So that's one of the things we're going to notice right off the bat that Habakkuk is dialing into with God is that many of the people within their own nation are corrupt, immoral, and are being very cruel to one another. And the prophet Habakkuk, is, he's burdened by what he sees, right? And that, that's driving a lot of his interaction with God. And so um, I, I believe that you're going to be able to relate a lot to what the prophet Habakkuk goes through. I know I certainly do. Let's, let's go to verse 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. 
Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Hmm. So Habakkuk is basically going to God and he is asking a big question. It's a question that I hear all the time. You've probably heard it all the time. It's been asked different ways, certainly throughout the ages, but essentially it just kind of goes like this. It's, it's a question driven by a struggle within and it says, God, why do bad things happen to good people? And why does it seem sometimes that evil people prosper? It's a question you may have thought about before. Many do. It's a question Habakkuk is answering. And as we can kind of see in the opening phrases here of him approaching God, he's making some accusations really against God that are in fact not true. But it's the reality of what he's going through and what he's feeling at the time. Church, I'm here to tell you today that we are going to go through struggles in life. And I'm not just talking about challenges and storms that come along externally from the outside that hit us. Those are going to happen too. But I'm talking about if you're going to mature in your faith as a believer, a faith that grows is a faith that gets tested and challenged and perseveres. And, and we're going to have these struggles along the way, these challenges that we run into where we look at things that are happening or we, we try to explore and understand what God is up to and what he's doing. And at the end, we come to this place where we're kind of like, I just don't understand. I just don't get it. I just can't make sense of what you're doing or what's going on. But I want to encourage you that what we're going to see today, we're going to watch a progression take place from the man we see right here in the beginning and where he's at to the man we will see in the end and where he lands. And the encouragement is that even with our struggles, even with our difficulties and sometimes doubts, that God is very much a big God and able to handle that. And if we'll come to him in the right way and allow him to do a work within us during these things, we will actually come out on the other side with a stronger, more tested and true faith than we were even before we entered into that difficulty. We're going to see the progression take place. The title of the message today is, Where Are You, God? Where are you, God? Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we know that you are a good and gracious God. And I ask you today, Lord, 
that for any and all who are here who are struggling in their faith, who are doubting or in a place of difficulty because they don't understand or there are things happening that they're just, they can't make sense of. God, when they're in that kind of crossroads of running to you or running from you, but they're here today, God, I pray that you would meet with them now. I pray that you would encourage them and that you would offer a word of truth that is fitly spoken at the right time and it would not fall on deaf ears. We come against any spirit of distraction or religion that might bind up people's ability to hear the true word, God, as you would want them to receive it. I ask that you would minister to every single heart in this place today. We say, Holy Spirit, take the room. We yield. I yield to you, O God. And say, do whatever you want to do in this place. And do whatever you want to do in our lives. We ask you now. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And everybody said, Amen. So I think one of the first things that we see here is that God is a big enough God to handle our hard questions. Point number one, as we look at the progression here that takes place, is he begins in a place of questioning. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to acknowledge it. We're going to have questions. We're going to have struggles. I think you need to hear that. That's part of our journey. The key is what we do with that. Many times people either run from God or they run to God when they're going through these difficult things. It's the difference in an approach with our difficulties that can be one of genuine heartfelt desire to understand God's ways better versus having a very cynical attitude and approach. I think sometimes when people become cynical and hardened, they're just going to see what they want to see and they're just going to hear what they want to hear. Whereas the genuine heart comes to God and says, God, I'm struggling. I don't get it. And that's what Habakkuk is saying. He's saying there's evil all around. There's corruption all around. Your people are suffering. This is not supposed to be your plan for your people. God, where are you? Where are you in all of this? He's having an honest struggle. And I really believe that we could see through Scripture and, and what we can observe from many of the other great heroes of faith and their transparency and their realness, vulnerability that the Bible allows us to peer into so many times, that God really desires and appreciates the honest heart and the honest struggle way more than some false sense of piety. 
I'm going to just be religious. I'm just going to have faith. You know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, doesn't really matter. And deep down, that's not something that's really established in them. It's almost like they put on this front because they try to be this thing outwardly and never really allow God to deal with the struggles and challenges that are down on the inside. And if that be the case, I promise you, I assure you, there will be no long-term fruit that will come out of approaching and handling difficult situations that way. God has the ability to do a work in us even through our struggle. I think that Habakkuk is kind of really helping us to see he's modeling what a dynamic relationship with God looks like. It's moving, it's changing, it's growing, it's developing, going good, things are moving, and then all of a sudden I hit this thing. Oh my gosh, I don't understand this, what's going on. Why do good people suffer? Why do bad people seem to prosper? Even approaching God this way in the beginning is a a step of faith. He says some things like, you're not here, you're gone. You know, you're not, you've left us, you're not around. What's going on here, God? And I want you to just understand this and see this, that he, in his hurt, in his struggle, he's making some incorrect assumptions about God. And this happens. We all do this. It's, it's kind of like in the trauma of the moment, we have blind spots. The biggest thing that we have to get is that we can never just assume that our perspective of what, what's going on is completely accurate. And that's what we're getting ready to see in the next verse, verse 5. Let's look at the Lord's response to Habakkuk's opening comments. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though I were, though it were told to you. <laughs> I mean, he answers the question without really answering the question. Do you get that? This is part of the genuine approach to God that we have to have, is that we can bring our big questions to God. He's big enough for them, and He wants us to come to Him with them. Definitely not the enemy. (laughs) But when we do, we have to to ask questions. They want to know about certain details, and as parents... You know, we, we try to sort of navigate through this process of understanding there are certain things that they are ready for and that they can understand and that they can process. And then there are other things that they're just not ready for or ready to handle yet. I think a good parent really prays and attempts to discern where those things are at with their kids so that when they're introducing things, they're introducing them at the right time and with the right instruction But there are many moments when there are things that are happening that they're just not ready for and prepared for quite yet. And so what we have to do is we have to use restraint and and just basically uh, not give them more than what they can handle at the time. Am I making sense? And so I think what we see is God's kind of letting us know that. that. There are 
Let me put it in layman's terms. Hey, Habakkuk, that one's above your pay grade. <laughs> right? You, you, if, I, if I downloaded to you what you're really asking me, and you, you would not be able to handle it. Your human mind would explode. It couldn't handle what I see and what I'm doing and what I'm up to. So he's in this moment of questioning, and God is there. He's responding, but he's not quite getting the answers that he's looking for. And then he says, I just need you to know, I'm just going to answer you this way, I am doing something, and if you know me, everything I know is, everything I do is good. Now, I have found, I don't know if you've went through this with God before, I believe you will if you haven't, but I have found that even though the answers to all my questions do not get answered, when God responds to me and just reminds me that he's good and that he's working and that that's what he needs me to know, there's actually a soothing effect that happens for my soul. It's soothing. It's still a mystery. I didn't get my questions answered, but it's soothing to my soul because it's, it's encouraging and reminding me that God, who knows better than I know about everything, is working and directing and moving, and he just wants to remind me that he's up to good things, which takes us to point number two as he moves from questioning to then trusting. Goes from questioning to trusting. Let me just kind of briefly fill in the blanks here before we get to two, chapter 2 and the rest of chapter 1. God actually tells him, he says, part of what I'm getting ready to do is I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, which would be the Babylonians, and that's how I'm going to deal with all this wickedness within. <laughs> so he almost is like, you think it's bad now? It's actually going to get worse. So Habakkuk's like, that's not the answer I was looking for, <laughs> right? But God says, I'm going to bring a people to, to impose judgment on what's happening here, this waywardness, because the people are not repenting. And so then Habakkuk kind of moves into another line of questioning, which is like, why would you use a wicked people uh, to bring judgment to your own people? Again, God doesn't really answer but we see once Habakkuk has kind of exhausted his line of questioning, and he's just kind of poured it all out, and God just let him get it out, right? Here's where he goes next, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer when I am corrected. And then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Hmm. 
So now Habakkuk is kind of progressing. He's moving through this process where he was really questioning and doubting. And now he's kind of moving more to a trusting posture. He opens up there in those first few verses of chapter 2. He says, I will set myself on the rampart. I will watch and be ready to receive when God corrects me. It's like he's kind of understanding now. Like, I don't really get the whole picture. I don't really see everything. And what I'm seeing is probably not everything that's going on and partially not right. And so now I've laid it out there and God is patient and long-suffering and he's heard me. And now I'm just ready to hear what it is that he has to say. I love it. There's this sense I'm going to stand watch And I'm going to stay here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait for God to do something. You notice that he's not going to be impulsive. He's not going to try and force something to happen now. He's not going to go and act or react out of this flawed, skewed perspective that he has of what's really going on. He's like, I know, I know, I'm not quite seeing all this. I need some correction. I need some adjustment. I need some alignment before I really know how to move forward with this. And in his case, he's kind of waiting on more word from the Lord to take the people so that they know what God is up to because he's a prophet and he's going to eventually deliver God's words to the people. So he's not going to be impulsive. He's going to wait. He's going to set in. He's going to maintain a posture of prayer. Notice here, he's pressing in. He's not pressing out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go deeper into the throne room. I'm not going to run out the door. I'm going to get closer, not further. Because I discern that where illumination is going to come from, is getting closer to his presence. I'm going to stay in a posture of prayer. I'm not going to back out. And one of the things I have observed in just pastoring people now for a number of years is that oftentimes when people make the decision that I'm not going to back out, I'm going to dig in and stay with God, even when they don't understand, it's amazing how many times a breakthrough is just on the other side of that decision. I think a lot of times people retreat right before the breakthrough is getting ready to happen. This is the testing of our faith. God says, okay, you're at a tough moment now. Are you going to stay in there? Are you going to hang with me? Are you going to get closer, not further? Are you going to be genuine, not cynical? And then God rewards us. Isn't that awesome? He rewards us by what comes next in our experience of just being him, being with him and in his presence. He says it's set for an appointed time. I could really go, I could do a lot with that, but I'll just say this. An appointed time means that God has His timing perfected always in when and how he does things. You know, Habakkuk is saying, you're not here. Bad things are happening. And God is saying, there's a time for me to do what it is that I'm going to do. He goes on to say in chapter 2, there are multiple woes to the wicked. 
They're prideful, they're greedy, they're immoral, they're cruel, they're idolaters. There's a lot of these things that God woes. And he basically says this way, wickedness will not go unpunished. I am not a God who looks on complacent to evil and wickedness. But what he says is the way I deal with it is in my appointed time. I think that's sometimes where we struggle. When we recognize the problem, then we want a solution now. And God's saying, I'm working the solution. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always at work. I have an appointed time for how I do things. But here's what I think we do. Like, okay, I'm, I'm struggling, God. And then we pull out our day planner and our calendar. And we're kind of like, okay, God, you know, it's April, and I'm, I'm dealing with this issue, I'm struggling with this, and I've got some things coming up in June. It'd be really nice if May, you could start to answer me, right? And, and we, 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 we try to take our calendar and our understanding of time, <laughs> And we try, to, we try to force that into the way we want to see God moving, answering, and operating. I need to, okay, this evil, is, it's been around long enough, God. Like, the things that are happening in our nation, uh, God, are you paying attention? It's about time for you to reverse direction now on things. <laughs> and God says, I have an appointed time. And you know what I think he's waiting for us to do? is to take our calendar, take his word, and usurp that with the authority of Scripture. Let me, just, let me just slide that right underneath of your word. Let me, let me just make that less significant than what your appointed time is and what you're up to and what you're doing. You see, the trusting part of this, this is... This is where we start to really get into the good stuff here, I think, is the trusting part of this is that now Habakkuk is being challenged to, to live by and operate by what he knows about God instead of what he sees or doesn't see God doing at the moment. It's about who, not what. His character. I'm a good God. I'm always good. I don't look on wickedness with complacency. I have a plan. And there's an appointed time for how I deal with everything. And so the trusting part moves away from like, okay, I'm going to go off of what I know to be true about you, God. In the midst of not seeing certain things happen that I think need to happen in the situation that I'm facing. And then God makes this major statement in here. Major statement in verse 4 that's repeated many times over in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul quotes it in Romans and he uses it for his whole dissertation on justification by faith alone and not by works. And the statement that's made is this, the just shall live by faith. By faith and not by sight. 
Do you see him, God, drawing out the greater treasure that's going to come out of this thing for Habakkuk than whatever he went into it looking for? He's saying, I'm going I'm to bring out this, this part of your walk with me where you begin to trust more in just who I am and my nature and my character when you don't understand what I'm doing. That I'm there when you don't think I'm there. That I'm good when you don't see good things happening. That I'm just when you see evil seeming to prosper. You need to know and live by faith that I am all of the things that I say I am. And that will be enough to get you through. Not me sitting there answering all the questions that you want to submit to me like I'm at your beck and call. Oh. And the supremacy of God begins to set in. He says, the just shall live by faith. To live by faith is an unwavering, wholehearted trust in God, despite what we see in natural eyes. When we come into our salvation with the Lord by faith, we are invited out from a life of natural limitations that are directed by what we see, and we are invited to live a life in the spiritual realm that sees into the unseen realm, which the Word of God gives us the ability to peer into. He also says here a little later, the the wicked are never satisfied. He says this, their bellies are like hell, that they never get full. So it's just a reminder. It's not a full answer to the question, why do evil things happen? But it's just a reminder that evil is always at work because there is an enemy of our soul. Right? And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, it says that Satan has great wrath because of what's happened to him, and because he knows, he understands that his time is short. It says in the scriptures that the the prince of the power of the air, he is at work in sons of disobedience. And so it's just a way of kind of helping us to see and understand until Jesus comes back, and Satan is cast away forever, that there will be an evil that's moving and operating over the earth that we as believers must, by faith, take authority over and live triumphantly and victoriously over that. You see, the evil that's happening, I think it's even less about being cruel to God's people That's part of his M.O. I think a bigger M.O. motive is that he wants to get people to question their faith. If I could get the people of God to doubt if God is really real, if he's really good, because I do all these bad things and do all this evil and work and deceive lost people, man, if I could discourage people's faith, that would really be a bigger win. So we got to recognize that We go from questioning as we walk through this with God to trusting. And then point number three, he moves to rejoicing. What a sweet process. What a sweet process. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk. 
the prophet on Shigianoth. I didn't say that right. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of years. Another phrase that is closely related with appointed time. It says, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His grace. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from His hand and there His power was hidden before Him. So, what's very unique about this part of this, this passage is, is that there is a shift, which you don't see a lot. It happens, but not a lot. There is a shift in the type of literary style that's being used. The prophet is, is writing more in narrative fashion and, and describing his experience and his discussion with God and the responses. And now you shift in the third chapter to what is actually viewed as more of a poetic psalm. He goes from one style to another. Now, the psalm that he goes on to sing and declare is worship and praise about how good God is and how good he's always been. That's really important to draw out of the text Because what it shows us, guys, is that something has shifted in the man. Something has shifted and changed on the inside of him as he's been going through this process of I'm questioning, I don't understand, okay, I trust that God is good, I know he's always good, I'm going to stand on that. And then he moves to a place where he begins to just fully praise and rejoice in how good God is. Listen to this, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on the high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Wow. (laughs) Here's what's incredible about that. Nothing has changed about the evil that's happening. Are you getting this? He's shifted inside. He's he's come to a completely different place. He's now living out of faith in what he sees that's not seen instead of living by what's happening around him. God hasn't dealt with any of the stuff yet. It's still not happened. That's coming at a later time. But the prophet makes this shift inside where now he finds hope, he finds joy, he finds reason to praise and celebrate. And it's entirely about what's happened on the inside of him and his experience with God. And it has nothing to do with what God's done in the circumstances around him. Oh, 
He has found his hope and reason for praising, let me say it like this, entirely in his relationship with God and understanding of who God is that he serves. Not with anything that God's been doing around him. In fact, the extent of God's answers to his questions are basically what we've shared today. He would go on to not really fully understand everything that's happening in the situation other than it's so big you wouldn't understand it if I told you. Let's go back to you knowing who I am. And then as he finds that place of trust, he begins to be able to celebrate and rejoice. He is changed by the experience that he has had with God in his presence along the way. Not by what God has done outwardly to act in a situation that would settle accounts the way Habakkuk thinks it needs to be settled. Church, I I think there's something big in this for us. I think there's something really big in this for us that a faith that's really going to endure is a faith that's going to be tested and challenged. He goes from questioning to trusting to shifting into a place of rejoicing. He's been changed in this whole process as he's progressed through it entirely because he's peered more into who God is and his character than it is about God doing something outwardly that he wanted him to do. I think we are going to go through these moments, these seasons like Habakkuk. I don't get what's happening, God. God, it seems like it's getting worse, not better. Don't you love me? Don't you hear my prayers? God, I don't understand. And we, we come to God. He says, come on. Come to me. I can take that. Keep your heart right while you do. But come to me. And I'll cradle you in my arms. You know, I love it about our kids, especially when they're younger. It's like there's this instinct that they have, this sense that when they get hurt, when they fall down, or something happens that causes them pain in their little hearts or their bodies, it's like instinctively they know to run to mom or dad or grandpa or grandma. And they know that when they run, they're just going to be met with these big old loving, comforting arms that get wrapped around them. I don't think they're looking for explanations. Well, let me explain to you why your head hurts, son. You were running full speed, and that tree isn't going to move. And when you shifted, and so right now there's swelling happening in your cerebral cortex, and it's causing pressure. He'd be like, what? <laughs> I know sometimes Dax will ask me questions, and, and I'll try to explain. I'll be like, so does that make sense? Son? He's like, no, not really, Dad, but, you know. <laughs> but they somehow <laughs> instinctively know to just run to mom or dad. And it's not the explanation that soothes anything. It's the love. It's the embrace. It's the warmth. It's the nearness. It's the closeness and the intimacy. Just somehow by being close to them and wrapping our arms around them and them feeling our love and warmth, they feel better right after that. 
They're just, they're, they're up and ready to go on to the next thing. Oh, I just let my heart, my posture always be one that runs to the arms of God. When I don't understand, when things are tough, when I don't get it, I want to run closer to Him, not further away from Him. I want to dig deeper into the throne room. I don't want to pull back and try to distance myself from Him because I'm somehow trying to create this wedge now because I don't like what's happening or what I see. Oh, I think Habakkuk found it. I think he found it, and that's the reason why the whole last chapter of this book is a psalm. It's a psalm. It's a praise. It's a song to God declaring how good he is. You just have to appreciate the significance of the shift that's happened in the man as a result of the process that he's went through with God. Last verse, I want to read verse 16. He says, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones or frailty. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble when he comes up to the people. He's describing, My voice quivered. My body shook. He's had an encounter. He's had an encounter with the presence of God that's riveted him. It speaks to how powerful our time in God's presence can be. (laughs) He moves mightily. And we come out changed. The question we have to answer is, will we run to him? Or will we run away? Just ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Are you struggling today? Do you have doubts? difficulties struggles in your faith I want to be a pastor who will be up here and tell you that that's going to happen and that's 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 real life that's that's what a real journey with God looks like at times I want to help you navigate that I want to encourage you that God's big enough to handle all of your questions, all of your challenges, and all of your struggles. Will you go to Him? Press in? Will you come with a genuine heart? Here I am, God. Help me. I will receive whatever it is that you give me. As the prophet said, I stand here now, ready to be corrected, ready to be instructed, ready to be guided. He made the transition from questioning to 
trusting to rejoicing. And friend, I want to tell you today, so can you. So can you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just comfort and soothe the souls of every person who is here today who's genuinely approaching you in their own way, with their own stuff and their own situations, God. Just meet with them where they're at. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would flood this room right now. There be an encounter, touch from you right now. Touch them, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray, God, soothe souls today. 